also a few other things like i said this is kind of like an introductory hermeneutics class uh right on the front end but then as we get to the fourth and the fifth week we're going to be talking about finding the big idea of a passage and then uh, how to create an outline um or as we get in there like a study guide for like a small group bible study session so uh but here as we start off, the whole purpose of why we're doing this, and this is part of why I'm really excited that a lot of you jumped in on a class like this, uh, really is because as we look at scripture, kind of our basis for, um, let me try to get you out of the way here. Our basis for uh, caring about uh, studying and teaching the Bible really comes from Ephesians 4. And this is where uh, we get to verse 11, where it says, where Paul's talking about um, God, who is the father of all, he's overall, and he's given uh, to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then in verse 11, he says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the, of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried out by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So Paul is like the master of the run-on sentence here, right? But what he's talking about in this is that God has given each believer through the power of the Holy Spirit and dwelt the, through the power of the Holy Spirit who indwells every believer, he has gifted his church with, uh, with specific spiritual giftings. And one of those giftings is uh, teaching. And so part of and the reason for teaching isn't so that any one of us who expresses a particular gift in teaching would be able to express it. The purpose of, the, of a gift of teaching is for the building up of the body, the building up of the church so that people will continue on into maturity and not be tossed to and fro by every uh, wind and wave of doctrine. And what we see throughout scripture, uh, so often Paul's letters to the churches or Paul's letters to people in the churches, so like uh, to Timothy and to Titus, so often the context of these letters is uh the issue in those churches is false teaching. And so it's incredibly important that as we talk about understanding how to teach the Bible in whatever context that looks like for, for wherever you guys land in this, like the purpose, the, the reason why this is so important is because uh, if we don't understand how to study our Bibles for ourselves, we could either intentionally or unintentionally become a false teacher. Uh, the intentional part has its own like issues, right? But even unintentionally, if we're not informed on how to open the scriptures for ourselves, study it for ourselves, understand what the text says, uh, we've really undercut the whole point of teaching. Uh, a lot of times it can be easy for people with more charismatic personalities uh, to, to want to be teachers. Part of that is the allure of the stage and the lights. Uh, you're just in front of a lot of people. A lot of people know you. A lot of people see you. Uh, it, it can really become an ego trip uh, if you're really not in the right heart. Um, but if but those charismatic personalities really could like continue on in a position of of we'll call it like teaching. I put it in quotes because it's if they don't know the scriptures, what what are they teaching? But like 
in the teaching because uh, their personality is able to take them a lot further than their actual groundedness in the scriptures can. And that's really, really dangerous for the stewardship that we're given as we get up in front of any size group of people, whether it's a thousand people on a Sunday or whether it's even in your own small group, hopefully, or in your, you know, your connection group or uh, even friends that you're uh, walking through the Bible with, uh, hopefully throughout this class, you're going to be able to take away some things that, that will help you in any of those contexts across the board, even the next time you jump into your connection group. Uh, I think it'll help kind of inform some of the questions that we ask and some of the things uh, that we do as we approach the scriptures. So there's that. That's kind of my like my spiel on why this is important. Um, it's not just because I, I really love teaching and really love studying the Bible. It's because God's given uh that spiritual gifting to people. Now, I will say though, even if you don't, uh, even if you don't express like a a uh, a particular gifting in teaching, we are all as believers called to teach. Uh, in some capacity. Older men are called to teach younger men. Older women are called to teach younger women. All of us, if you're a man or if you're a woman, you are on your way to, to having the expectation of you being able to teach somebody. Uh, that, that's an expectation of all believers. And that's why even the qualification of being able to teach for an elder is there. It's not only because elders are to be the ones who safeguard the sound teaching and preaching for the church, but it's also so that we can set an example for all believers in the church on what does it look like to open the Bible, understand what it means and share that with someone else, because that's actually the the call for every believer and elders are to do that in a, in a, in an, in a, an exemplary way, but it's not in a way that excludes the importance of knowing how to do this for every believer. So that's like a big asterisk on like kudos to you guys for jumping in to something like this to really grow in your understanding of the scriptures and in your understanding of how to communicate that to other people. So uh, like I said, the primary aim of this class isn't to uh, isn't to prepare you for a particular size or a particular context. Um, I I'm the the expression for me lends itself more towards like a Sunday morning. Um, but like I said, hopefully some of these things you, you'll be able to apply uh, across whatever context you're in. Um, so we're starting off here on on how on how to study the Bible. Uh, I'll put it. I'll put it this way. I, I try not to be too snarky about this because it can get misinterpreted. But um, one of the one of the things that uh, kind of annoys me when uh, when we're talking about Bible study methods, and I know this was a big thing at Candeo several years ago, um, was the SOAP method: Scripture, Observation, Application, Prayer. Um, I, I think at best that approach to studying the Bible is incomplete. And here's why. Um, if you just go from observation to application, you skip over like the, the most important part of studying the Bible and that's interpretation. I'll, I'll put an asterisk there. Ultimately, the most important part is application. Like we shouldn't just be hearers of the word. We should be doers of the word as well. If, if we truly understand what the scriptures say, it should be applied in our lives. 
but we can't know how to rightly apply the scriptures if we don't know what the scriptures are actually saying and what they actually mean. And so the problem with, with a, any method of Bible study that skips uh, the interpretation element uh, is really like undercutting and shortcutting uh, the method of Bible study that is actually the most beneficial. Again, because how can we how can we rightly do what the Bible says if we don't rightly understand what the Bible says? And that's where like the SOAP acronym is catchy and it's helpful, but at the end of the day, it skips over what what I think is one of the most important aspects um, of Bible study. And so uh, one of the things that uh, that happens here is something called the blind adherence problem. Um, and this is where, where you, you approach uh, a text of scripture and you immediately jump from the text to contextualization for us today. And, and what contextualization is, uh, is simply communicating in ways that are understandable and appropriate to the listener's cultural context. So when we contextualize scripture, what we're doing is we're, we're looking at the scripture and we're saying, okay, how does this apply to me today? So what we bring to the scripture, and sometimes we can recognize this, sometimes we can't, is our own, our own culture, our own backgrounds, our own understandings, our own assumptions, our own, our own political biases, or even political processes. Like, like we live in a democratic republic. Like that wasn't the political landscape of the Bible, but we bring those things to the text without even knowing it. There's so much of our culture that influences the way that we understand the scriptures. Um, but when we jump straight from the text to us today, it can be really easy for us to, to superimpose our own culture onto onto the text, and we can actually miss the meaning of the text. Um, and so, uh, applying the Bible to our context without understanding how the text uh, was set within the cultural context of when it was written will ultimately undermine uh, our ability to understand the meaning of the text itself. And this is where, like, uh, it's it's called reader response, where it places personal p- opinion over authorial intent. Right. So when we read the text, we begin to say, um, uh, what do I think this means, as opposed to what did the author intend this to mean to the people that they were writing to, which really is at the root of the meaning of the text. And we'll get into how to how to understand that, how to decipher that, because we do eventually need to go from the text to our context today. But there's a process that we need to go through that we can best understand um, how the author, uh, how what the author was saying applies to what uh, to us today. So, anything uh, related to that, real quick, before I jump into um, kind of three kind of ways that this that this study can uh, affect our our Bible teaching. Any questions so far, though? No one's fallen asleep yet. Awesome. Well, except for uh, Nick and John, I can't see them. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, um, let me Present. see here. Present. Nailed it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't following up with my slides here. So, yeah, moves directly from reading to life application without thinking of the original audience. So, three ways that this kind of study alters our biblical communication um, and, and our understanding of the scriptures. So I'm, I'm really uh, proud of the graphics for these next three things. Okay. So 
humor me. All right. All right. So the first one, um, it gets better. My favorite one is the second one. I'll just say that. Um, the first one is impressionistic teaching. So, uh, if, if any of you are like art history buffs, I'm not, um, but I am enough for this illustration to work. So, uh, so you have these two artists, Monet and Renoir. I think I'm pronouncing that right. I'm not French. So don't correct me if I'm wrong. So uh, <laughs> Monet and Renoir. So the, these are two young artists who were, who were up and coming artists of their day. Right. And so they preferred to use vibrant color um, uh, and to paint contemporary things rather than historical scenes. So the art scene of that day was more like, um, like muted colors. Uh, it was, uh, it was more historical in nature, kind of like telling of past events. Uh, Mo Monet and Renoir really liked using, uh, like vivid colors and really liked like doing a, a more contemporary style um, of art. And so they eventually began to experiment with these things and they really started to get kind of shut out by the art community. Um, but they still kind of press forward in that. They, they really, um, they really loved their style. They really believed in their style and they kept kind of pushing uh, in that, in that way. And they eventually gained a really um, large following, which is part of why we're able to talk about them today. We know you've probably at least heard Monet, um, maybe you've heard of Renoir, um, but what they began to do in their paintings that really kind of pushed against the cultural norms of the art scene in that day was that they began to experiment um, with, uh, with augmenting reality uh, in their paintings, and they began to paint with looser brush strokes um, and broader lines, and this, this ended up making their paintings less precise uh, and more impressions of what they were painting. So it was more of a loose form of what they were trying to paint, which is where we get impressionistic uh, art from. Uh, and so impressionism takes what the eye sees, it, interpret, it interprets it, it exaggerates it, it, it ignores parts of it, and at the end of the day, ultimately ends up distorting it. And so even on this slide that you see, like this, this painting right here uh, is a Monet painting. This is an impressionistic painting. And you can kind of see where the impressionism is taking place, where, uh, where it's, it's really kind of vague. It, 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 it's not blurry, but it's almost as if it's blurry, where it's like, okay, I know that there's a boat. And I know, let's see here. I know that there's a boat. I know that there's a, a moon. And, I, and that's kind of like shining off the water. I can't quite tell how many people are in that second boat. And I don't really know what's off in the background. Is that, are, are those like burnt down trees? Is that a dystopian city? I don't really, it's, you get the impression of what it is, but you don't really get anything um, that is real specific. And so uh, this kind of, um, this kind of teaching, this kind of study of the Bible, it ignores the historical, cultural, literary, and contextual contours of the text. It, I'll say that again. It ignores the historical, the cultural, the literary, and the contextual contours of the text. And so what happens in this is that um, uh, it, it ends up distorting the text. It ends up uh, being real loose in its understanding of the text, it ends up, like I said, we're, we're still in this blind adherence problem, right? So it goes from the text to our context right away, and it ends up kind of like, like taking the impression of the text in, in any, any possible application 
that the text could have all, all of a sudden becomes almost the primary meaning of the text. So, so here's, here's a couple examples. Um, let's see here. There we go. So here's a couple examples. All right. So Philippians 4.13. This is the, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right. Maybe you've seen that on a, like a Michael Jordan poster or like, so it's almost inevitably on some sort of sporting poster, like sports poster or whatever. It's like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, which means that if I'm five, eight and weigh 300 pounds, then I can dunk a basketball if I really, really pray hard enough. Like if I really understand about, if I, if Jesus will help me do all things, you know, so I can do this. And people claim that as a promise uh, to like enable them to do really anything that's aspirational in their lives. When actually, if you look at the, at the, um, just at the textual context, not, not only historical or cultural, but uh, at the literary context, if you read the verses right above that, Paul is talking about being content with in plenty and being content with little. And so what he's talking about when he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, what he's talking about isn't that he can achieve, you know, that he could get into the, into the, um, the Olympics, right? Like they had that at the time. Um, what he's talking about is that is that Christ will give me strength regardless of the season of of material possessions that I have. Uh, that He will empower me through the Spirit to endure uh, persecution and suffering for His sake, not so that I can attain personal goals. So that's a way that an impressionistic kind of understanding of the Bible is that you take a verse, you rip it out of its context, and you use it for whatever might might make sense, and and you kind of like create this impression of the text that makes no sense. Another example of this is a uh, um, is James one nineteen. Uh, where you talk, where it says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And I, this isn't, um, a lot of parents can misapply this as the primary meaning by being like, yeah, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. That's a good principle in general. But when you look at the context of James 1.19, what this is talking about specifically is, is in reference to the word of God, not just in general, be quick to listen, in general, be slow to speak, in general, be slow to become angry, which is all true. But you could use other scriptures to make those primary points. What this is talking about is when you hear the word of God, be quick to listen to the word of God, be slow to speak in response to the word of God and be slow to become angry uh, with what you might disagree with, with the word of God. And so that's where both of those examples were literary context issues, but the, the principle still applies. If we throw out the historical context, the cultural context, the literary context, we're going to lose a lot of what actually informs what the real meaning of that text is. And we, inadvertently uh, create an impression of the text that isn't very specific. And so when you look at, again, when you look at this painting um, of these boats over here, it's kind of like that that's a bad way to present the scriptures uh, to somebody because uh, in most cases uh, we want to give a really, really clear picture of what the scripture is saying. We're trying, we're shooting for clarity. Uh, even if that clarity of our understanding of the text is, I don't know what that means. Right. Like that's better than just making something up. Okay. So what we want to do, um, so possible applications uh, can't overshadow the primary point 
of the text and its place in the writing as a whole. So whatever you're, whatever you're reading, look at the, and that was in some of your reading as well. Like, uh, like reading sentences, reading paragraphs, like, uh, look at the verses before look at the verses after it, read the whole book in one sitting, you know, that might be hard with something like Isaiah, but, uh, something like Ephesians, that's really not a hard task. That's 20 minutes. If you're studying the book of Ephesians, if you're studying most epistles, you could probably sit down and read those, uh, between 20 minutes and an hour. And that'll help give you the context of what's in there. Um, so instead, we must bring out of Scripture what is there. So this is called exegesis. So exegesis is when we open, when we open the book, when we open the Bible, we look at and what we're what we're doing is we're seeking to draw out what is already there. A lot of people do something called eisegesis, which is we bring meaning and we place it on the text. So I open the Bible. I already kind of know what I want to say. I already know kind of my hobby horses. And I'm just, I'm just kind of looking for verses that reinforce that regardless of whether uh, those verses actually say that in the context. And this is where a lot of, um, a lot of topical preaching, honestly, uh, can, can really fall in this ditch really fast where, uh, where you're not walking, you're not studying through a book of the Bible, um, or you're not teaching a text exegetically, but you're only, you're only speaking on topics. And then you just go, you just skim through the scriptures and try to pick out every verse that might have to do with that topic or might use the word for that topic, uh, without consideration of the context. So, Again, uh, impressionistic uh, Bible study is probably where most, maybe most of you, a lot of us at least have probably heard when we're in some sort of small group context. Uh, this is what this passage means to me. That's where that comes from. It's like trying to like get an impression. It's like, this is what this passage means to me. What this passage means to me is, is a different phrase than how this passage applies to me. I think a lot of times people mean this is this is how this passage applies to me, which there are many applications for a passage. But when we study the scripture, there is one meaning like Paul or Moses or Peter or, you know, whoever, like the author of the scripture was had a particular meaning for the audience that they were writing to. And what our job is, is to study the scriptures in such a way that we understand what that meaning was for the original uh, audience. And then we seek to take that meaning, the one meaning of the text and, and help people apply it in the variety of ways that it will apply. We're very different people. We have very different contexts. So texts will apply differently, but they won't mean something different to us um, just because they won't, they won't mean something different uh, just because of our context. They'll apply to us differently. So, <clears throat> so that's impressionistic uh, teaching. This next one is my favorite one. All right. And it's only because of the picture. All right. Inebriated teaching. <laughs> um, man, this was such a money, uh, a money quote here. So Andrew Lang um, said, some preachers use the Bible the way a drunk uses a lamppost, more for support than for illumination. Uh, and you'll see how, some of the, how a lot of these weave together. Um, one way you can tell whether a, uh, a Bible teacher is, uh, is metaphorically inebriated in their teaching um, is look at how much they push you back to the text to show you where they're getting what they're saying. Um, 
messages where a text is just read at the beginning and then the message is given and you have no idea how what they just said had anything to do with the text that they just read, uh, that's inebriated teaching. Okay. And so, um, this, unfortunately this happens a lot. I think it can be really easy. Uh, I praise God for our elders and for, um, for the foundation that, uh, that, um, like Paul Sabino laid, I mean, honestly, Cornerstone in general, but uh, so I can take this for granted and kind of our like salt network bubble, you know, but uh, I am just amazed, honestly, at how often when I'm looking across the landscape of churches, uh, not just in the Cedar Valley, but even just across the nation, uh, how often I see impressionistic teaching and inebriated teaching uh, as the regular diet of Sunday of like Sunday services where it really is just like, here's kind of the token scripture because we know we want to, you know, be a church that kind of values the Bible, but then they just go off and talk about something either totally different or kind of related, but they're not, they're not showing their work. Like if you remember in grade school where, uh, where you're doing your math homework or whatever is like, you got to write out your work, show your work, like show me how you got that answer. For, for us, as people who are striving to teach the Bible to other people, like we have to constantly strive to, as often as we possibly can, show our work, like continue to push people back to the text where it's like, like, here's something I said. Now, do you see that? Do you see that right here in the text? Do you see that word? Do you see that phrase? Do you see how that connects to this? Like, um, that honestly, uh, for the listener gives a lot of confidence where, where the weight of the authority isn't on the teacher, it's on the text. Because the, the Holy Spirit inspired the Bible. The Holy Spirit didn't necessarily inspire my words. The Holy Spirit has inspired my words in as much as my words line up with what the scriptures teach. And so um, that's, that's where we need to be really careful to continue to show our work. It's really easy to forget this, especially at the beginning when you're first learning how to teach the Bible. Um, it can be really you have to just keep reminding yourself, like, I need to show people uh, where I got from the text, what I just said, or where, where I'm getting from the text, what I'm about to say. Like, continue to, to push people's noses back into their Bibles. If somebody could open their Bible, hear the, hear the text, and then close it, and never need to open it again for the rest of whatever you're doing, that's a problem. That's, that's inebriated uh, teaching right here. So. We don't lean against uh, the text, but instead we stand under the authority of the text. Again, it's that lamppost kind of analogy. Um, Charles Simeon had this great quote that I, I just had to throw in here. I have a great jealousy on this head, never to speak more or less than I believe to be the mind of the spirit in the passage I'm expounding. We never want to say more than the text says. We never want to say less than the text says. Like our goal should be to say exactly what the text says, what the text means, and then help people make the connection between what this text means and how it should affect the way that I think, the way that I feel, and the way that I live. Those are kind of those are kind of my threefold, and we'll get we'll get into this when we get into the outline section of things. But uh, those are kind of my three questions when we get to the now what, right? Now that I've understood what this text means, how should this change the way that I think, the way that I feel, and the way that I live? Um, some some passages don't have a direct imperative like go change this about the way you're living but it certainly uh passages certainly will affect the way that we think which 
how we think in, impacts how we live. It'll most certainly affect the way that we should feel. Like, what should my emotions be in response to this text? Um, uh, the Bible isn't just a rote textbook, right? And so um, I thought that was fantastic. Okay. Let me double check my time here. Okay. I know I'm flying, right? Like this is, you you, you have signed up for uh, five nights of a fire hose, okay? Like total unhinged fire hydrant, just like everything, okay? So we have it. We have uh, impressionistic teaching. We have inebriated teaching, and finally we have inspired teaching. Um, this is very closely related to impressionistic teaching, and here's how: in inspired teaching, uh, the approach to the scriptures is that whatever moves in my spirit in private must be what the Holy Spirit wants to be taught. Like if something just kind of gets me excited, like kind of as I'm reading this and kind of as I'm getting the feel of it and kind of as I, as I'm thinking like, Oh man, I like, Oh man, that I'm really feeling good about this. That must be the main thrust of the text. And here's kind of how that approach, uh, the progression of this approach is you read, read the scripture, you kind of meditate, you sort of chew on it and think about it. You pray some, you contemplate more like it's very, very inward focused in its approach where really someone reads the text and the first question they ask is, how do I feel about that? Or how does that make me feel like in it's very, it, it again, it's kind of, it's like impression. I think I put this in here. Uh, yeah. I mean, it equates your spirit to the Holy spirit. Like if that's how I feel, then that must be the Holy spirit. Like the Holy spirit is the governor of feelings. Right. And so, and it's like impressionistic teaching, uh, but it, it's dressed up in piety. It really is because who's to question how the Holy spirit has moved in your life right now. I'm not saying the Holy spirit isn't part of this process. Like the Holy spirit, he is absolutely like the linchpin essential to being able to teach the Bible. I mean, how can we understand the scriptures apart from the Holy spirit, but don't confuse your initial feelings of a text with the leading of the Holy spirit. Like that can short circuit a lot of people's value of study uh, in a really, I think dangerous way um, because it can, it can become so emotionally driven uh, that it, you can also end up missing the point of the passage. Things can be kind of fuzzy because uh, you can be, you can confuse being led by your emotions with being led by the spirit. Um, now that's not to say to swing the pendulum, the complete opposite direction, right? Where it's like, don't, don't trust, don't lean on the Holy spirit. Don't pray in your study. Like it's like, no, no, the first thing you should do when you open the scripture is pray. Like even before you read it, like open the scriptures, pray, like, God, by your spirit who wrote this thing, like help me understand it, right? We need to lean on the Holy Spirit, um, absolutely. But again, be very uh, wary of just equating your initial thoughts, initial emotions as being the absolute, decisive, uh, unequivocal leading of the Holy Spirit. That, that can be kind of dangerous. So let's see, a passage just can't mean whatever you want it to mean. That's essentially where the um, inspired teaching uh, goes awry. Okay, so how do we avoid all of these kinds of study? 
All right. And then I'm going to kind of walk you through a few ways. A lot of this came from your reading for this week. If you haven't read um, the uh, uh, all of the reading for the first three weeks are in your binders. If you haven't picked up your binder yet, um, you can pick that up at Candeo really anytime this week, but it'll also be available next Sunday too in the resource center. So be sure that you get that. Or if you want it, like before you're able to pick it up, just shoot me an email and I can send you the PDF of these first three weeks of readings. Uh, these readings are from um, Duval and Hayes' book. Uh, um, Duval and Grasping Hayes. God's Word. Grasping God's Word, you got it. I, I had How to Study the Bible for All It's <laughs> Worth stuck in my head for some reason. Yeah, Grasping God's Word. Um, if, if you like these readings, I would really encourage you to, to purchase all of Grasping God's Word. The only reason I gave you the selections that I did was so that I wouldn't break uh, copyright laws by uh, copying more than 10% of the text. And so uh, even though I really wanted to, and no one would have known, but there we go. God knows. Um so yeah, grasping God's word is fantastic. Uh, and there's sections in grasping God's word that, um, that are particularly helpful because, uh, they go into how, how should I, how should I study different genres of scripture, which is really important. Um, but again, I couldn't print all of it off. So a lot of this was in your reading, but how do we avoid this kind of, um, blind adherence, impressionistic, inebriated and inspired, uh, teaching and, and study of the Bible. Well, first, and th this is where soap gets it right. Okay. So this is the O of soap. I wish I could do soy app. I think that would make sense if I added an I in the middle. Um, but we need to learn to observe. And I remember, um, yeah, we, we must first learn to see what is there before we move on to understanding what it means. Now, this part of Bible study, uh, I remember being in my uh, in my undergrad hermeneutics class at Moody Bible Institute. I remember like the first assignment we were given. I can't remember what the text was, but it was a it was it was like two sentences, and the assignment was uh, go and find. I think it was like like thirty or fifty make thirty or fifty observations about these like two verses. And I remember sitting in the in the in the library just like. There, I'm like, there's not 30 words in these. How in the world can I make 30 observations of this? It was, I didn't have a category for this kind of, of Bible study. I didn't have a category for even, even how to do this because again, like my, my mind had been so trained to read the scripture and jump straight to application that I didn't even have a category for how to even just like observe what's in the text without without automatically jumping to me or, you know what I'm saying? And so, um, but it's so important in our Bible study and it's, which is why we, we start with this. So uh, this is from your reading. I just, I stole basically the, the list that was part of your uh, how to read sentences and paragraphs and stuff like that. Um, but as you're reading through your passages uh, or through your Bible, um, look for repetition. Repetition is huge, especially when you think of uh, in, in biblical times, um, paper was a premium or uh, parchment or uh, whatever, whatever they were using to write on animal skins, uh, whatever it was like that was at a premium. And so the biblical writers aren't interested in using more words than necessary to make a point. 
unless they believe that those words are absolutely important. And so when you see things repeated, it's not because the author's like, oh, I guess I should probably just, it's, it's not like they forgot that they said it, right? It's like, no, they're saying it for a very specific reason. So repetition, uh, contrast, comparisons, I mean, you can read through all of that. Um, but these are just some kind of like framework things where even if you just took this list and, uh, and just like set it next to your text, and you, even if you just ran through each one of these, it was like, I'm gonna look for this, I'm gonna make some notes, I'm gonna ask some questions. Uh, uh, like questions can be part of your observation. So uh, I wanna show you actually, let's see here. Let's see here, aha. All right, so this is my, um, this is my part of my passage for uh, this Thursday. So I'm teaching a salt company. They're going through Ephesians. Oh, let me get. I, I do it on like actual paper, so this that's what I'm setting up right here, so I can recreate what I've done. Um, we've got some salt students in here too, so you're kind of getting a sneak peek at the process. Um, darn it. I'm going to spoil the fun for you. That's not true. Uh, <laughs> so this is the text. We're going through Ephesians. Um, here's how I've started to make my observations. Um, this is not a scientific process. Uh, let's see here. Uh-huh. Okay. So I'm just going to like talk while I write and hopefully this will kind of make sense. So, uh, this is part of the text. It's, I think it actually goes through 14. But um, blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. Okay. So stop right there. All right. This is a slow process. You're going to want to read this. This is like, um, uh, I've been on a scone kick for a little while. So this is like eating sidecars new recipe for the cranberry scones yeah they have a new recipe and you should try it because it's fantastic but to really appreciate the flavors the nuances maybe you're not a scone person think of your favorite food but it, maybe you're eating it right now i think zach was having popcorn like you don't just like bust through it really fast you know to really get the the essence of it uh you gotta like mull it over you know put it up put this on a note card carry it around with you throw it in a ziploc bag in your shower you know and stick it on the thing like ziploc bags will stick to shower walls and indefinitely like they will never fall down ever so just like put them in there and so like so you're caught like you're just reading and reading and reading so again what we see here in verse three, here, here, here's what I saw. Okay. I was like, wow. Okay. Blessed is the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. Three times in one verse, the word blessed shows up, which makes me ask the question, do, are, is the use of blessed these three times, is that word used in the same sense? in the same way every time or is this blessed 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 but is this like blessed like when uh in this again i'm just pulling you on my process here so uh i go blessed i go okay i wonder if that and i'm gonna look this up i'm not just gonna assume this but it's like okay blessed praise 
Praise be to praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Okay, is that is that the same? Who has praised us? I don't think that that can be what that means, right? And I've and I'll have logos, you know, up here uh, and some tools to help me understand like the meanings of these words. But uh, who has blessed us? Who has shown favor? Favor to us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. He's shown favor who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And so here's what I, here's, I'm just recopying what I'm writing here. So with every spiritual gift, uh, and I, I, I looked these up as well. Um, in my, uh, in my Greek lexicons, but the, the beautiful thing about this is, uh, every gift joyfully given. That's literally what that blessing is. Like these are, these are the same words with different senses, right? And that, that this, this is where the scriptures will begin to come alive, where you just slow down and make some observations here. And so every spiritual blessing, uh, in the heavens, in Christ. And so I'm just going, okay, the, the blessings are in Christ who is in the heavens. And so then I'm going for he, again, it's going blessed is, is God the Father, for he chose us, he, God the Father, chose us in him, Jesus Christ. Again, pronouns, if you go back to your list, like pronouns are important. Sometimes, especially in Pauline writings, you're like, he's using a lot of similar pronouns and I don't know who he's talking about. Slow down and like make those connections, okay? Paul can get kind of confusing in that. So he has blessed us, uh, he, for he chose us in him. And when did he do that? Before the foundation of the world. Now this, this is where... Um, you can begin to kind of like write it. If that reminds you of another piece of scripture, uh, you can even begin to kind of write those. And so when I see before the foundation of the world, it makes me think of Revelation 13, verse 8, which says, let me look it up here for you. Revelation 13, oh boy, 13, what is a computer? Okay. Uh, so verse seven uh, also was allowed to make war the saints uh, on the saints and to conquer them and authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation and all who dwell on the earth will worship it. This is talking about the beast. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world and the book of life of the lamb who was slain this so Ephesians 1 is talking about God's good purposes in election, a really difficult doctrine, but it's really important for us to understand what before the foundation of the world actually means. And Revelation 13 actually gives color to what before the foundation of the world is. It, it isn't just that, that those who God has chosen to be secured uh, in Christ were chosen before the foundation of the world. It was before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb who was slain. So this is, it, it's believers were chosen by God before the world was ever created. And they were so chosen by God that their names, uh, that it was, it was as sure and was so sure as Christ having already died for them before, cre before creation ever happened. 
because before the foundational world, the book of life and the lamb who was slain, Jesus wasn't slain until thousands of years after the world was created. But even before that, it was so, it was our security in Christ is as sure as his death before the foundational world. That is so huge in understanding God's purposes of election. So anyway, I'm not trying to preach this. I'm starting to, but I'm not trying to preach the sermon at you here. So uh, let's see. So chose us in him before the foundation of the world. For what purpose? To be holy and blameless in love before him. So holy, this is where you get to the beginning of Ephesians, where the address is to the saints. This is positional. This is both positional and descriptive in nature. Uh, so you take the book of First Corinthians and you go, wow, Paul addresses them as saints and then tells them to stop living such terrible, crazy lives. So it's both a position uh, and, a, and a posture or practice. So saints, blameless, in love. Let's see here. I'm trying to make sure I get everything that I wrote. Let's see. In love, he predestined us, predestined us. So we're going, I'm just writing here, saints, um, chose us, saints. That, that's, that's who Ephesians is written to. It's written to the saints. He predestined us. He decided, this is what pre, whoops, uh, decided beforehand. So you see what I'm doing here as I'm going through. I'm 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 kind of like paraphrasing things. Uh, another thing that's helpful um, is to is to maybe even like like try to write this out in your own words uh, because it'll really it'll really keep pushing you back into the text. Like how like what are some, what are some words that I that I don't quite know. Sometimes what you'll see. Um, so I see I wrote this, uh, decided beforehand under predestined. If I didn't know what predestined meant. I would put in my notes, I just put definition, I just put def right there. And that's reminding me when I get to my process of interpretation to go back and to look up these words, I'd, I would do the same thing. Whoops. Uh, I would do the same thing with blessed, blessed, blessing. Like I'm, I'm writing questions down here. Uh, he predestined us. So we've been chosen before the foundations of the world to be holy and blameless. And we've been predestined to be adopted. So this isn't just talking about uh, our holy conduct. Like we haven't only been predestined for good works, but we've also been predestined for our position within the family of God itself, which is really important again, in understanding a difficult doctrine uh, like election. So adopted as sons through Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, for, uh, this is so great, for himself. Uh, this makes me think of, I think it's, um, I didn't write it here on my sheet. I think it's, it's uh, John. Oh man, this, and this is where I put, uh, I think it's John 6. Oh, I don't think I'm right. Uh, where where uh, Jesus is talking about, um, uh, not losing any of those that the father has given him. So like that uh, we've been predestined to be adopted through Christ 
for Christ. Like, like believers are, uh, if you think of it as God's gift to Jesus, like God is presenting this, this great gift to Jesus. And it is, uh, it is us like believers. Like we are, we are a gift from God to Jesus. Like Jesus receives us uh, with the joy that any one of us would receive a great gift. Like, that, that just just blows my mind there. So I think I don't think it's John six. I'm gonna I'll end up looking that up, and it's not actually in my notes. So I really actually will look this up. I'm gonna transfer this to my paper here when we're done um, for himself. I did put uh, in my notes here as a gift from the Father. <clears throat> this is. This is how, so I've been nervous to, to teach this passage um, because I, because I know how divisive the doctrine of election can be. And Ephesians one, these verses are like, uh, like ground zero for um, in Romans nine, Romans nine is just so straightforward though. It's hard not to see it, but like Ephesians one, this is like, it can be really contentious, but so understanding the text helps helps the tone of this message not be a fight because the tone that Paul is giving this to the Ephesians isn't like you Ephesians have such a terrible view of election or I, I think that you're wrong. Like this, I think this was meant to be a comfort to them. This was meant to be a reminder to them. Like they were supposed to walk away from these first words in Paul's writing to Ephesians, like praising God right? Like worshiping God, like, like walking away going, wow, how, God has chosen us. Christ has redeemed us. The spirit has sealed us. Like I'm not ready for battle. Cause I think you're wrong. Like I'm ready. Uh, I'm ready to walk in these ways because my salvation is so secure in, in sealed by the spirit, redeemed by Christ and chosen by God. Like this was to be a massive encouragement. So it, it really will change the tone of your message if you understand the context that this passage is coming from. So I'm almost done here. I just kind of wanted to bring you in on a little bit of um, a little bit of kind of how I do this. So let's see, predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure, according to God's purposes of choosing us and of predestining us for these things is in accordance with something. This is where um, Romans nine will come in uh, possibly at some point, because what we see in Romans nine is Paul is again talking about election and, and he's using uh, Jacob and Esau as the examples. And what, what he's, what he's showing is that uh, God's purposes for Jacob and Esau weren't according to their own works and weren't according to their own merit, but it was according to God's good purposes and election. And so this is where according to the good pleasure of his will, good pleasure of his God, the father's my writing is atrocious. I'm sorry. God, the father's will which is a massive, massive encouragement to believers because God's, 
God's choosing of you, God's choosing of me, wasn't because he saw anything. Uh, it wasn't like it was a dodgeball line where he went, I think you'd be a good team member, and I don't think you would be. Like, you look like you got a strong leg. You look like you just like to read books. Like, it's not like he's just going through the line of humanity, choosing people based on their merit or what they bring to the table, but it's according to, not according to our merit or our own pleasurableness. Is that a word? I don't know. Uh, But according to the good pleasure of his will, the good pleasure of his own counsel for the purpose of the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished. See, I'm, I'm basically underlining all the verses, right? But I'm trying to make notes along the way, according to the praise of his glorious grace, 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 grace is huge. Not according to our merit, not according to anything he saw us doing the only thing God would have foreseen us doing through the scope of time is constantly rejecting him in accordance with our sinful nature that is eternally depraved would never desire God apart from his own divine intervention according to the good pleasure of his will that he lavished Paul didn't have to write lavished didn't have to would have saved him ink would have saved him space would have saved him time he lavished. I want to. I want to look up the definition of that. I want to get a picture in my mind for what lavish looks like. Lavished us in the beloved one. And so again, my passage goes on further than this. This is what I'm doing when I'm sitting down with a text, and I'm just wanting to observe things. Like honestly, as I get, as I do this even more, like more things are going to come out of it. More, more questions are going to come out. More like connections are going to be made. You know, so. So sit down with your text, like either on your iPad or, or, you know, maybe you've got a, uh, I always, I always put it out on a, here, I'll show you. This is, this is my thing, right, right here. I type it out. Can you hear me? There we go. Uh, I type it out and it's like, like two and a half spacing and I give myself a little bit of margin, but then. I just go crazy. This is more for the outline stuff, but um, this is just so helpful. And then I carry it around with me uh, in my bag um, and bring it out. I mean, when I'm studying for a message, but for you, whenever you've got time, uh, spare time, you can pull that out and just keep writing, keep observing, keep finding things, keep asking questions, keep thinking of things you want to look up, keep making cross references. Um, You will get better with it with time. Oh boy. All those went away. Oh, there we go. You will get better with it with time, but keep doing it. Like keep coming back to the text. Don't, don't just spend 10 minutes on a text. I mean, we spent more than 10 minutes on that just now. Um, spend a lot of time getting yourself with like with your text and you, you'll notice along the way that I didn't, I wasn't asking a lot of like, like, so how does this apply to me? So how does this apply to me? So how does this apply to me? Like I'm talking a little bit about like, like what this means for believers. Like how, how should I understand this? But it's still so, so rooted in the meaning of the text. So there we go. Let me get you. All right. All right. All right. All right. I'm trying to get, there we go. I want to get you back in gallery view here. Okay. 
All right, so observation. Observation is huge. Don't jump to uh, trying to figure out exactly what it means. Don't jump to trying to figure out exactly how it applies. Stay in the world of what is this saying? Like what is here? We need to see what is there before we see what it means and see how it applies. So questions. That is, uh, man, it's such a crash course on observation, but it's, it's really important. I feel like I'm not doing justice to it because I'm not, I'm not, that's not doing justice to it. But, uh, for the, for the fire hose experience here, uh, what questions do you have so far related to any of that? Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. yeah, yeah, go for it. Okay. Uh, my, my question would be is just um, like how long of a process does that normally take you? Like just like what you did right there, just the observing part, like how much time do you really devote to going through just that scripture? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, probably. So for me, when it comes to like, if I'm preparing a message for, for a Sunday or a Thursday, um, I'm probably spend from start to finish uh, 20 hours, 15 hours, maybe. So the, the observing part, uh, if I kind of break it down is probably an hour of that ish. I mean, it, it's kind of hard to tell. Cause I'm, like I said, I'm carrying it with me. I'm doing different, different things. I really try to get on the front end as much as I can. So, uh, so even like, so like a week before I'm actually starting to prepare it, I'll actually make like Ephesians one, uh, the thing that I, you know, part of my devotions in the morning and I'm just reading it and reading it and reading it and reading it. And I'm not writing anything down until I get to my actual preparation part, but it's probably an hour. Um, uh, Megan and Joe, uh, Gehring asked a great question here in the chat part. Um, they said, this seems, this seems daunting. I feel like I'd never make it through a chapter, let alone a book of the Bible. This is, that is such a great question. It, it is daunting. It can be overwhelming. Um, I would say, I'll say two things when we're, when we're talking about studying the Bible, uh, we need to have a couple different categories. One category is, is I'll call it raking. And the other category is digging. So, uh, what I mean by that is in our Bible study, there's, or, or breadth and depth. Okay. So there are times in your study of the scripture that you want to read for breadth. And so what you're doing is you're not like, you're not jumping down into like sentence diagrams and then, you know, cutting the words up and, and doing this process, like in, in the breadth portion of your Bible study, it really is a focus on quantity where you're sitting down and just reading the Bible for it's not like studying it in this way isn't enjoyment, but you're reading it uh, to really get the the big picture, like the over, like the the overhead view, you know. And so that's like like saying, I want to sit down this morning and I want to read Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, the whole thing. And it's like, and that has value in and of itself because you're going to get the big like thirty thousand foot view of Ephesians. And maybe along the way, while I'm reading Ephesians for breadth, I'm making notes in my Bible, you know, little points going, I, I think I'm, I think I want to come back to that. Actually, I want to study that part for depth. So that's how I would like hold these two things in tension, maybe a little bit, at least initially is read for breadth, 
read large chunks of scripture. And as you do that, make notes along the way for maybe a few things that you might want to go. I actually want to go back to that and I want to spend, I want to devote some time, you know, instead of spending a half hour reading for breath, I'm going to spend a half hour outlining this particular portion of scripture. And I'm going to see that as valuable. And the next day I'm going to maybe read some more for, for some more breath or, I'll go back to that and spend some more time in that. One of the greatest, it was funny. We were in a connection group and uh, we were talking about reading the Bible and uh, and we were, and I, I think I made this statement where it's like, we don't read the Bible to finish it. We read the Bible to know God, you know, and this is a lifelong journey. And so what, what I would say like to that great question, uh, Megan is like, um, it feels daunting uh, but don't feel like you have to rush it, right? So if you're if you're in this portion where you're like, I really I, I'm in a season where I need to read for breath. Like I came out of Bible college with that. I was like, man, I've been I've been gosh, what six years in depth. Like I just need to learn to read the Bible in large chunks and just enjoy it in this way. So I bought a an ESV. Um, oh, what's it called? A uh, it's it's the Bible that doesn't have um, verse chapters and verses. Uh, I forget what that's called. The, the reader's Bible. Um, Cause that really just forced me to read the Bible. Like it was written, it was written as letters. And so I just started to read it, read large chunks and chunks of scripture, but hopefully that helps a little bit. Um, there's probably more that could be said on that. Any other questions? Hey Jake, I got one. Yeah. Ryan. Uh, okay. <coughs> style of teaching that can be negative like the impressionism and an inspired teaching what can you do if you're in a context like a small group or maybe in a church setting and that kind of teaching is very prevalent how can you get mm. away to be more of a bible focused yeah yeah and this is this is really fun too because i've actually gotten to jump into your group ryan um i think probably uh over the long term it's to just keep point just keep pushing people back into scripture. Like, so even if somebody throws out there, like, like what, well, what this means to me is this, that could be a great uh, opportunity actually to, to help define the difference between um, meaning and application. And so to even draw out, cause I, I, I do think a lot of people, what they mean when they say, this is what this means to me is this is how this applies to me. Um, but even just a f refining the language there, I think could help that conversation. Um, but then even, you know, if, if there's other ways that this expresses itself, uh, just keep pushing people back to the text saying, Hey, like, like, thanks for, thanks for your contribution there. Where, where do you see that here in this passage? Like, help me understand where you see that and where you're getting that from. Um, yeah. So that way it's not just this, like, well, I just kind of felt this. It's like, that's great. Like we want our feelings to be informed by truth here. So like, like you probably wouldn't say it that way, but like, <laughs> but just draw out those questions and, and let those questions kind of force them to answer it from the text is probably how I would start. Um, and hopefully over time that kind of creates a, an instinct in people where it's like, I, I really need to be able to show my work and support this from scripture. Uh, Cause otherwise it could just be um, how I'm feeling at the time. Yeah. That's a great question, Ryan. I love that. 
So when you're doing this, you're throwing all of your observation tools at the text at the same time. You're not like picking out, um, now I'm going to do contrast and go through the entire text and list every single contrast that you do right. and then go on to comparisons. You're not doing that. You're just, you know, reading it, making observations wherever you make them. Yeah. And I think part of that, Zach, was uh, I think at the at the very beginning, like when I didn't have a category for observation, I and I just didn't understand what I, I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I I think I actually did have my list next to me and I went through it that systematically over the years anymore. Um, I've kind of under, I've kind of more internalized those things. And so I'm able to recognize them a lot faster. Um, but especially uh, when I was given that assignment, find a ridiculous amount of observations in this short text. Uh, I was like, I don't know how to do that. I don't even, I don't even have the lenses to know how to see a text like that. So at the very beginning, I would, I would have used a list like that. And then over time I kind of uh, inevitably was weaned off of it because it became like within me to be able to see those things. So kind of depending on where you're at in that. Um, and, and it could kind of go back to this where it's like, well, I have no idea how I would ever approach a text like that. Uh, I would say, that's great. Grab this list and just kind of like make your way through it. Maybe there aren't some of these things, you know, maybe each text doesn't have each one of those things, you know, so it's not going to take you an hour to get through a sentence, but to at least create those filters um, on the front end is good. It does get easier. Uh, it never gets less important, um, but it does get easier and faster kind of the more you do it. So, yeah, that's a great question. Any other questions? These are great. How do you uh, keep yourself from being kind of pulled back to kind of your pet things that you like preaching on, like predestination, <laughs> example? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's where uh, that's where studying the Bible in community is so helpful. <laughs> uh, it, at least for. I I always I'm always really unnerved if I write a message that hasn't gotten the input from uh, from our elders uh, and from my wife. Now that's me specifically. Okay. Like, but to broaden that out, that that's where I would pull in. So like every, every with the exception of maybe two, every message I've ever given, Sarah has heard twice beforehand. Part of that is for, uh, clarity and flow of thought and part of that is because she's incredibly like she's so biblically literate um that she's a helpful filter the elders are that as well in your context that could be you know getting you know rubbing shoulders with somebody else or a couple other people you know in your process of study or whatever or in, in just kind of sharing like what you're seeing uh and if if you have a few kind of like biblically and theologically minded people uh that are around you that's in part of it too like and this is where commentaries are incredibly helpful uh i do all of my observation work before i consult commentaries um but the commentaries uh really help me help help ensure that i'm at least staying on the rails 
you know. Um, but outside of pulling commentaries in for people that I don't know, I also want to uh, study the Bible, at least in some way, uh, in a context of community where I'm able to, to kind of like toss these things around with, um, and that helps as a, as a filter as well. But commentaries are, uh, I, I've never prepared a message without uh, consulting those at some point in the process though, for that reason. Um, Cause yeah, we all have our hobby horses. Uh, Greg Pierce, if you remember him, he, he can make any passage of the Bible be about missions. And it was, you know, it's like, it's because he loved missions. It's like, dude, yeah, God's heart for the nations. It's there a lot. It's not there all the time, you know, and I've got my own things too, you know? So, um, Paul Sabino, it was like, man, he could find an imperative command in a passage that didn't have an imperative command. Like, you know, it's, so it's like, we, we all have our thing. And that's where like having a, having more voices than just your own in that process is, is really helpful. But that's a good, I was just listening to a podcast uh, uh, yesterday about, about that question, Zach. So that was, that was very timely. <laughs> Let's see any other questions. I do want to throw a couple of podcasts your way. I'll find those. And uh, one, one question as well, adding on. Um, so you're talking about, uh, I think it was the inspired teaching. Um, mm-hmm. You talked a little bit about how like you don't want to like be too emotionally driven when preaching. So I guess my first question is kind of like two parts would be like, first off, like how do you like determine if it's emotions versus the spirit being led, like when you're teaching and then when is it appropriate? Do you think like preach from maybe emotions or if that be like, from the spirit, you know, so I think I would assume like when you're preaching, I'm sure, I mean, you are preaching from the spirit and when you like, you know, mm-hmm. feel something in your heart, like I need to preach this. Is that dangerous to take that route? Like, I don't know. Sure. On that. I'm just yeah, of- no, that's a really helpful question too. So, um, I'd say like from the emotional side, uh, man, um, this is where it gets really dicey and this is part of the danger of it too. Um, because, it's it's finding this balance the the holy spirit like i said is absolute is absolutely necessary and vital to our understanding of the scriptures to our understanding of the text um it can be really difficult to discern between my own emotions like the thing that i get excited about and the holy spirit um so i'd say in preparation what i'm gonna do i'm not gonna like necessarily be trying to actively suppress my emotions. Like I'm not necessarily trying to do that because we should, if we're spirit filled, filled people, it should elicit an emotional response as we're seeing what God has written in his word. Um, what I'm saying is I'm not going to just let that excitement dictate everything about the process like going on there. Um, but even, but like particularly in, in like in the, in the preaching element of, of a passage, you, you want to preach with the emotion of the text. And so that's where uh, even, so like the book of Galatians starts off very differently than the book of Ephesians or the book of Philippians, like where Galatians starts off where it's like, Paul's just coming in like, boom, he's got his bazooka ready, you know? And so you don't want to begin Galatians with this kind of like, lighthearted, very jovial kind of jokey sort of, cause it's like, that's not the tone of Paul when he's in that text. Um, and so that's where 
I'd say like the emotion, the emotional side in the, in the teaching and the preaching of something, um, even that, like the expression of our emotions should be dictated by the tone of the text. Um, but then in preparation in particular, I'm going to, I'm going to get, get excited while I'm studying. Um, but I'm still going to have a very specific process, uh, that I use to, to really draw out the meaning of that text that isn't purely based on my emotions, if that makes sense. Um, I'm going to, again, I'll be doing my observation work. I'll be consulting commentaries. I'll be interacting with other people. And, and along the way, I, I will get emotionally excited and all that stuff about those things, but it's going to be the right kind of emotions that's informed by, um, by something more than just my emotions. Yeah. I guess that's what I'd say. That's a, that's a great question though. I, it, it, it's a fine line to walk. Um, yeah. So it's nine twenty-two. Uh, so at any point along the way during this class, always don't just feel free. Feel the obligation to send me a message, shoot me a text, however you want to get a hold of me. With any questions you have along the way, I do want to throw out just a couple uh, podcasts that I listen to um, that are helpful for me as I think through uh, uh, teaching preaching, whatever. Um, let's see here. Uh, the first one is it's called Christ centered preaching. Uh, and it's from uh, covenant theological seminary. So Brian chapel, he, he wrote, man, he wrote one the best chapter on preaching Christ from the old Testament that I have ever read in my entire life. I, I should find that and send it to you. It is revolutionary, but like that podcast uh, is really helpful as it relates to thinking through um, how to, how to create messages and uh, stuff like that. Another one, um, I listen to the flower mound women's podcast. That's Jen Wilkin. Jen Wilkin's like my spirit animal. So she's just a great teacher and you can learn a lot about teaching just by listening to great teachers and man, she's one of them. So uh the one that I just recently found is put up by the gospel coalition. It's called help. It's called help me teach the Bible. Pretty straightforward. Uh, that's been my jam. Like, and I say recently, this was like four days ago. Right. So that's, that's pretty much been all that I've listened to. Um, the knowing faith podcast, uh, that's put out by the village. Uh, that's, that's Jen Wilkin, JT English, Kyle Worley. Uh, that's more of a theologically minded podcast, but, you want to be theologically minded when you're uh, wanting to teach the Bible. Um, yeah, man, the, the last one, and I'm keeping you guys over time here, so I want to respect your time. Uh, this is a mouthful. The John Reed Miller Lectures on Preaching, Dr. Timothy Keller. The John Reed Miller Lectures on Preaching, Dr. Timothy Keller. Um that's, that's just a handful of messages that, uh, that Tim Keller gave, um, at the reformed theological seminary on preaching. So, all right, real quick. So next week, um, you've got, uh, Duval and Hayes for the reading chapter eight, uh, that's on interpretation. And we're going to, we're going to start talking about how do we go from just observation, like just seeing what's in the text to interpretation, to understanding what the text means. Um, you have in the front of your binder, I believe it's, uh, it's the Colossians passage, right? Yeah. Um, 
I think I double spaced that or triple spaced that for you. Uh, so try out some of these observation uh, methods or filters uh, in that Colossians passage. So part of part of what this class is is uh, you'll either be using these principles applying it to your class you'll be using these principles applying it to that passage in Colossians and you'll either be um, crafting like a like a message uh, or a small group Bible study so it's totally up to you which one you want to do uh, that that's new for this year because we realize like teaching the Bible isn't just about getting up in front of people and teaching in a monologue format it's also sitting down with a group of people and walking through the scriptures together uh, and where you where you have come a bit more prepared and some people just hate getting up in front most people would rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy at the funeral right so uh i understand that there are some people uh that are kind of uh, averse to public speaking which is totally fine which is why the the small group study portion of this uh might be might be for you so um we'll talk a little bit more about that next week uh since we're like way over time here um but yeah, thank you guys so much for jumping in on this new format. Um, hopefully this is helpful. And I'll, I'm going to try to get the audio and the video for this up uh, sometime early on in the week. And I'll shoot out a message to all of you uh, when that's up, uh, at least with the link to the video part um, and the audio part. Like I said, Candeo Equipping Podcast, um, that'll be available uh, as well, iTunes and Spotify. So uh, yeah. Thanks so much. Uh, I'll shoot you a link out again for the session for next week, but uh, again, it'll be at eight o'clock and yeah, wear your jammies because we can. So <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right. That's all I got. Thanks guys. Enjoy Thank the rest you. of your night. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks Jake. Thanks. See ya. See ya Jake. <laughs>